0: for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics.
1: Time for episode 169 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week I've got a great interview with Saitatan, a favorite writer of mine from the UK. He writes all kinds of wonderful things that always challenge my thinking, including Cancer Town and Cancer Town 2, White Knuckle... And The Indifference Engine, which he's written a sequel called The Indifference Engine 2, The Suicide Show. We talk about how that book came to be, including the first book, so we'll catch up a little on that. And we talk about the characters and what we might expect in the future. There's a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. I want to welcome back to the podcast Cy Ta, one of the great UK creators of comics that I really enjoy, including uh, Indifference Engine, which we're going to discuss about, and Cancer Town, and oh goodness, all kinds of other good things. How are you doing today, Cy? I'm good, thank you. It's good to talk with you, and we have something in mind to talk about, too. One of my very favorite things that you did, in Difference Engine, you've got a follow-up book coming out for that. And yep, you know, right. Is it already out, or is it coming out? What's the situation with Difference Engine Volume 2?
2: It launched officially at the weekend, just mm-hmm. gone. Okay. So we're all up and rolling, I think. Uh, I mean, it's out in print. The digital versions, I think, are up already, so yeah, we're all good to go.
1: Okay, now, I usually ask this last, but let's do this first this time. How do people get a hold of it digitally or get a hold of print versions right now? How do we do that?
2: Well, I'm told that the publisher, Marcosia, has now got decent distribution in the U.S. Mm. So, I mean, Amazon is a pretty decent bet. Mm -hmm. Pretty sure we're going to be Kindle, Comixology, maybe even Comics Fix. Mm. So the usual
1: suspects. Oh, good. Okay, that'll be fun because it's always great to be able to read your stuff. And, you know, because over here in the U.S., we don't quite get as much exposure to U.K. creators as I would like because you guys do things a little differently than we do, and I always like variety. (laughs) So I get a kick out of that. So, if somebody has never picked up Indifference Engine, why don't you talk a little bit about what the basic premise is?
2: Okay, this is going to be interesting because, obviously, it's a sequel, Mm -hmm. and you don't want to spoilerize your own work. But, (laughs) essentially, the Indifference Engine project came originally out of a humble, perhaps even noble aim of taking a relatively benign, inoffensive character and sort of torturing him to see if he could ultimately be trained to bite so what we emerged with was a mid-level programmer, career programmer, mm-hmm. who unexpectedly, in replying to a strangely specific job advert, he gets recruited into a vast multi-dimensional task force composed exclusively of superhuman alternate reality versions of himself. Uh, <laughs> I hate so, when that
3: happens. <laughs> oh, sure, sure, sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it, we kind of charted a progress of this character from this relatively innocent, very mild-mannered doormat, mm-hmm. and we kind of pushed him into a corner where he ultimately became, uh, you you might say, a one-man extinction event.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Mm-hmm. So when we find him in, in Difference Engine 2, the suicide show, he's been blackmailed by an insane supercomputer built at least partially out of his own brain matter mm-hmm. into slaughtering his way through this vast spectrum of alternate realities, murdering every single other version of himself from the superhuman ultra end of the spectrum to the more sickly, weaker infra end mm-hmm. and folding those realities in upon themselves so that every single Alan Blake... That Alan Blake kills mm-hmm. ends the universe that that Alan Blake came from. <laughs> so, trying to just resolve the whole paradox into a single reality, and that's where we find him at the beginning. That's our start point mm-hmm. for the second book, mm-hmm. and the sequel grows organically out of the DNA of the first one. We're sort of unfolding the whole the, the whole
1: thing. Mm-hmm. i got to ask you, of course, where did the idea for Indifference engine come from originally?
2: Oh boy, that's hard to say. I mean, I think to be honest, this is—it uh, was one of my earlier story ideas. Although the book actually came out in 2011, the first one. Mm. But I think it was one of my migraine stories. Okay. <laughs> I'm a I'm an Olympic level migraine sufferer. Mm. Although it's, as I get older, it seems to be telling off. But mm. there's this rush of creative energy that you get in the moment when you turn the corner in a, in a really severe migraine, mm-hmm. and I tend to get some of my wilder ideas out of uh, things like that. It's not something I tend to try and rely on mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. it's, it's it has a unfortunate other side effects. but yeah, I mean, other than that I couldn't even really tell you where this one came up. Okay,
1: well, you know, because alternate reality types, I, mean, I was thinking as I was reading, and I got a chance to read volume two, which I really loved, it, it might even be better than the first one, which is saying <laughs> something. I was thinking that you out-orphan black orphan black (laughs) i guess i guess i mean yeah i
2: mean mean, although i haven't seen the show i'm aware of the basic concepts of it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah it really i mean obviously it's unavoidably going to be a character Mm -hmm. study Mm -hmm. in concept you can't really avoid that but Mm -hmm. it raises so many challenges i mean both from a writing and an artistic perspective because obviously you've got dozens potentially of these different versions of the same character they all have to have something identifiable that draws them all together. You have to be able to tell that they're all the same person, but at the same point, you have to also be able to distinguish them, mm-hmm. except when you're not supposed to, mm-hmm. and then you're pulling the wool over people's eyes a little bit. And mm-hmm. so it's an adventure to write it. Mm-hmm. I would not want to be the
1: guy who draws that story. Mm, well, the guy who draws <laughs> that story did a very good job because, as much as you scripted it in such a way that we could tell what's going on visually, I didn't have a problem telling, except, you know, in the places when we're not supposed to know. I didn't have trouble telling who was who most of the time, which was great. You know, when you're reading and looking at the same person from different universes and some of them have obvious differences like the one i call the two-face he's got that, he's, he's got like a part of his cheek has been removed at, at some
2: point yeah we call that guy acid face
1: ultra <laughs> in the script mm-hmm. he, he's really good and you guys have done it a good job so where you can actually tell the difference and i have to say that sometimes i pick up comics and people who are drastically different from each other i can't tell apart but you guys have done a good job for people who are extremely similar to each other. I can tell those people apart, and I just think that's great.
2: Russ is a machine. He he went above and beyond on this because obviously, it's almost scripted to be impossible to draw mm-hmm. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the way. It, and obvious, and we've got like these big fights involving. The most we get is probably, you know, 20 or 30 of them mm-hmm. from various points on the spectrum and points between the points on the spectrum, which is something new that we've introduced for the second one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it must have been fairly nightmarish. <laughs> but he took it all with great humor. So.
1: <laughs> mm, well, good. Well, it was kind of a challenge for him to be able to do that. And so, you know, he really met the challenge, I thought, very well. You, you bring up an interesting point, though. In the second book, one of the things we get to do is we get to see uh, versions of the guy who are not necessarily human, <laughs> May we say, I don't want to spoil anything, but there are things that we come across, uh, you know, alternate versions that I as I kept looking, I was like, wow, okay, we're really going way out there in the middle of the alternate universes <laughs> to get those things. And that was kind of fun because, you know, we see these different things and they're attacking. We don't get to understand a lot of what they're thinking at this point, but I get—I really enjoyed the battles and what's going on and just a great idea it's it's fun to see how you can take your own concept and stretch it out and make it even more interesting as it goes along so i thought that volume two is good on that level
2: cool. well, I and mean, what we wanted to do obviously there was uh i'm gonna stop using the word obviously because there's, there's probably very little about this story that is obvious <laughs> but we wanted to demonstrate that the entire mission of the first book Mm -hmm. as it was laid out Mm -hmm. that whole endeavor was fundamentally flawed because there was something missing there was a piece missing Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so we've shattered the mirror And when you put it back together, there is a piece missing that that would have prevented the goal of the first book from ever being fulfilled. And that Mm -hmm. leaves us in a very new and interesting place for the second one. Mm -hmm. So that was where all those more bizarre iterations of Val and Blake came out of of that. The fact that they were missing a critical variable Mm -hmm. in the calculations that were made in the first book, Mm -hmm. which throws the whole thing into a new light in the second.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, I've got to ask you, I asked you before how the concept came from. Where did you get the concept for the second volume? Or did this all come at the same time and you really only got to cover half the story in the first book? How did this all work out?
2: When I was doing Cancer Town, for instance, that was conceived right from the very outset. You probably remember, I probably said this at the time, that mm-hmm. it was conceived of as two books. Mm-hmm. This one, the second book presented itself during the writing of the first one, hmm. as it were. This is quite a, a nice little conceit of having a guy fighting an army of alternate reality versions of himself Mm -hmm. and being sort of a fish out of water, even in an environment where all the fish are him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. so, um, but about halfway through that, Mm -hmm. It suddenly occurred to me that there was a whole other direction to take this in, that there was no way I was going to be able to follow through mm-hmm. in the 88 pages that we had. The process of story design is always more a case of taking things out than putting things in, mm-hmm. because your your original idea is always too big mm-hmm. for, for the book you're trying to squeeze it into. Mm-hmm. I think it, it always needs to be that way, because it, you know otherwise you end up with something that is too thin, too stretched. Mm-hmm. So I'd always prefer to compress everything down as best I can, and then what doesn't fit? Cut it out, and if you get to do it again later, then that's a whole new opportunity.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And sometimes it works out. So you know, in this case, I think it did. So,
1: mm-hmm. so obviously, the the response to the first volume was good, so that you could go on to do the second.
2: <laughs> well, it has the singular distinction of being my most pirated uh, b- book. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, like you know, tens of thousands of times, apparently. So, um, good grief. So. That was interesting, apparently, when the torrent went up, mm-hmm. they included a review <laughs> that, had, that, had put, that, had, that had been that they'd obviously stolen from elsewhere on the internet okay. and I think that was what put us over there so we 've had people coming up to us at conventions mm-hmm. um, you know, almost from immediately after publication, so people were coming up and saying that you know a, a copy of the book had fallen into their computer somehow, oh. and they liked it they actually would tend to buy the physical copy and then started asking about the sequel. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. at that point, I started bending my will toward that. Mm -hmm.
1: What (laughs) what was your reaction to that? I mean, you know, because unfortunately, you know, as as much as the word got out and people got to read it, and it it definitely promoted your career and stuff like that. But on the other hand, you don't benefit financially from people doing that kind of thing. I mean, what was your reaction when you started to to find out this was going on? You know, how did you respond? Bafflement was... (laughs) uh, (laughs) was how it began, uh-huh.
2: and I'm more or less stuck there, I think. That's a whole big subject. I don't know that it did me personally any particular or lasting harm,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but uh, yeah, who knows what would have happened otherwise. I mean, certainly the, the book would not have had nearly such a wide outreach
3: mm-hmm.
2: without that happening. mm mm-hmm. So, you know, swings and roundabouts, I guess.
1: Okay. Now, based on what happened to the last book, are you expecting or anticipating something similar happening with the second volume? Ah, uh,
2: I don't know. I try not to think about stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> you drive yourself crazy, you know, uh-huh. because uh, I'm not going to say that every pirated copy equals a lost sale. I think mm-hmm. that's nonsense, but mm-hmm. – uh, I don't know. As I say, I'm not going to make a huge sort of moral
3: okay. point
2: about it. In some ways, it's quite a shame that it happens. But mm-hmm. what am I actually going to do
1: about that? Yeah, <laughs> that's the trigger. I kid. don't.
2: I don't have a solution to yeah. that,
1: so uh, I try not to let it bother me too much. Yeah. Can Marcosia chase these people down? You know, these kinds of things. It's it.
2: Well, that's a science
1: question, really, and I'm, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not really
2: equipped to answer it.
1: Okay. <laughs> So uh, it's just kind of, it entertains me on some levels, but it worries me on some levels because the good news is, is that it helped you on that respect. It's gotten the word out about it. But on the other hand, you know, one dreads to think about how much money you could have made had that not happened, you know, but... It got the word out, that's the good thing, and so we'll we'll live with that and not worry about the other. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the way to prevent the insanity from setting in. <laughs> well, this is like the second that I know of, of the follow-ups. You did Cancer Town, you did a, a follow-up to that, and now this one you're doing that. <sighs> I love the book so much, and I'm always so fascinated by the creative process and how it comes to be. You mentioned that you had this idea while you were making the first one. Is there a possibility of a third one coming?
2: Uh, the thing I learned about sequels, mm-hmm. and you'll see this from which books get them and which don't, if you leave a character alive, there's a possibility. Okay. So you'll so, so spot the ones that didn't have that within them
3: mm-hmm.
2: by the fact that I've pretty much killed everybody off. Mm-hmm. But I get this question about Cancer Town quite a lot from people who've enjoyed the first two. Mm-hmm. And in, in fact, it's happened to the point that I'm that, people, that I'm actually starting to refer to them as the first two, <laughs> than the, the whole thing. At, at one point, I just I, just, uh, I said if one more person asked me about it, I'm just going to say yes. Uh, they, and then it was literally five minutes later that somebody actually asked me because we said it at a, at a convention.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I don't know. The doors may be open, mm-hmm. but we've slammed a lot of them mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. this second volume. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So I'm pretty much going to say. That I would need to have a very good idea. Okay. I said this about Canson as well. I, I would need to have an idea that would make it worth taking the risk of unpicking the stitching of the end of mm-hmm. the second book well, in order to, to thread in a third one.
1: Well, I have to be honest with you. When I read the first volume, I thought that was the end of it the way that you did it, I kind of thought, well, okay, there's not much more that can happen with it. And that's why when you were mentioning that you were going to do a second one, I was like, wait a minute, a second one? How can he possibly do that based on what happened in the first? And so hmm. I love the fact that uh, y- your creativity allows you to be able to go to these different places that I couldn't think of. I was looking at going like, wow, I never would have dreamed of that because that was pretty good the way that you do that. Now, I don't want to spoil stuff, but there's there's a particular story thread that goes to the second volume that I really liked, and it has to do with the girlfriend. Mm. I was gripped by that whole business that went on with her and what she means to the whole story. Because, you know, in a story about people who are almost identical to each other, in comes this other person, and she proves to be pivotal to the story you're telling. And we actually, I mean,
2: we seeded her right from the... From the the first one, she's actually the girlfriend who we see a the, toward the very end mm-hmm. of the first book. Mm-hmm. There's one panel mm-hmm. where you actually can see Callie,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and she's she's the the girlfriend who dumps Alan off camera at the beginning of that book. Mm-hmm. So she was in there from the beginning, mm-hmm. and she was the big chunk of story that got taken out mm-hmm. because we would have needed a lot more space to develop it. So mm-hmm. that yeah, so she was in there right from the beginning, and this whole idea of, again, without spoilerizing too much, without her, the defining characteristics of her that make her uh, as pivotal as she is mm-hmm. to the second volume, mm-hmm. we're in there from the beginning.
1: Yeah, I, I really loved her character, and I loved what what happens with that, and, I'm, and there's no way in the world I want anybody to know what it is until you actually sit and read the book, because it fills out – <laughs> It makes things happen that I really liked about it. And it poses a question, too, as to, you know... Well, see, even if I ask that question, it's going to spoil stuff. But um, (laughs) I always wondered where he came from. You know, how did he come along? And you answer some of that in there about why is he such a significant person from Mm. universe to universe, which I really liked. And I just, you know... We all kind of wonder that, you know, are there others of ourselves around and are others of us different from who we are? Are they more important or are they the same? And so to me, I love the way you answer that question with these two volumes. You deal with the subject of alternate realities in a really creative way, I think. And, you know, she's great. I think the the computer is great. I love the characters themselves and how different they are from each other. Even the same person can be different from each other which I really like. So I really encourage people to read this book. It is such a good book. Lots and lots of surprises along the way. You would think that this wouldn't be a very action-packed story, but it is. There's a lot of action that goes on, particularly when certain ones decide other versions of themselves shouldn't be around. I oh, like yeah. That.
2: I mean, obviously, again, obviously, with <laughs> each, uh, each of the characters we have Im- embedded, this the idea of the floor. Mm-hmm. Which is critical to the whole point of the second book. Mm-hmm. The flaw at the heart of the entire endeavor mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the first one.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The reason why every single one of these characters has a vulnerability, mm-hmm. a single defining vulnerability. Mm-hmm. That was the birth of the second book right there. Mm-hmm. So you can see everything that stems from that, the way the engine is wrong footed in the second book, in a way that it was previously it considered itself to, to be entirely in control of this situation. Mm-hmm. Navigating it towards a single unified conclusion that it alone could see mm-hmm. the moment that we present it with information that it didn't have and couldn't possibly have
1: mm-hmm.
2: because of the missing piece of that shattered mirror.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah? I really love the fact, too, that the computer was a character. That we could understand, and even the computer, though it was supposedly a part of what everything was going on, it had its own agenda and its own thing going on as well. Mm. So I, I love the fact that all these different moving pieces are going around and bumping into each other in different ways.
2: Yeah, the danger with it, obviously, okay, obviously, goddamn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the uh, the danger of it is when you've got
2: a ton of characters who are all the same person. Mm-hmm. I was really conscious that the subsidiary characters, the ones that are, the ones on the peripheries, the non-Blakes,
3: mm-hmm.
2: it would have been very easy to let them slip into just being props mm-hmm. for the Blakes, you know, to be manoeuvring or, or, or manoeuvring around.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So the difficulty of giving somebody who is an outsider to this closed system mm-hmm. to give them some kind of agency within the story, I think, was probably the hardest thing to marshal.
1: Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Because one would think that differentiating the individuals from each other would have been the hard part. But you're saying the, that somebody who wasn't part of that group was actually harder to keep going or to make interesting when compared to the others.
2: Well, you find that people all the various Blakes have at least relatively easily understood functions within mm-hmm. the story. They all know what they're here for. Mm-hmm. So when you're introducing a character who doesn't know, mm-hmm. so, I mean, almost what the core version of Alan Blake that we followed in the first book mm-hmm. you know, was. He, he was the outsider within this system. But... That guy is now the insider, yeah. the ultimate insider in the second book. Yeah. yeah, We would have, I think, lost the reader perspective into the story. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, again, it was a question of giving the outsider characters some of the focus and not just have it be a bunch of angry people shouting mm-hmm. the plot at each other.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, one of the things I also like about your books, and it makes it so enjoyable to read, is character development. You know, you've got the same character who starts – The first volume is in a different place on the second volume, Mm. but there are other people who are in places that are close to where he was before
2: yeah kind of a cycle behind him, yeah in uh and we don't want to fall into the trap of repeating the story arc of the first one of the mm-hmm. the person getting involved, mm-hmm. so sequels I think tend to offer this opportunity to just rip apart everything that you spent all the time building in the first one, mm-hmm. so they they're immensely satisfying in that respect,
1: mm-hmm. you get to break all the toys, but you know the, i, I... Often, I find myself when i 'm reading comics, and you know you read a Batman comic, and Batman, basically, although now with what some stuff that 's going on, Mr. Snyder apparently has planned, is going to be different after convergence is over. but mm-hmm. you know normally, Batman is Batman from month to month it 's the same character, but when I yep. read your books, your characters are always on uh, on a growth pattern on a change thing, okay. and I find that so interesting because you know a- after you 've read. <laughs> You know, Batman, as much as I love Batman, I've read that for so long now that when I see any kind of change, I'm kind of drawn to it because, okay, this is different. But your mm-hmm. stuff is always interesting to me because we get to see people grow and change. And I, you know, I'm hungry for that kind of thing as a comics reader. I often like stories that have conclusions because so many comics don't end. But Hmm. yours always do. Your books come to a closing place. And that doesn't mean that the story's over, but it comes to a place where there's a good finish or something that's happening that draws us and and gives us a satisfaction that we've come to an ending place, which I like.
2: I always think that it's better to end a story on an interesting question than on a dull answer. So I'd, Mm -hmm. I'd always like for the ending of my story to be a different place from where we started Mm -hmm. it's about giving relevance to the story it's the reason why we're telling this particular story Mm -hmm. we're recounting this particular period in the life of these characters Mm -hmm. so there has to be a reason why it's this day we're talking about and not a week sooner or a week later Mm -hmm. when Something different happened, but it didn't change them as a result. I think it's important to have your characters do that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, again, we do have this, particularly in comics, there tends to be this syndrome of just angry men shouting the plot at each other mm-hmm. and, and occasionally throwing a punch, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I enjoy the way that you tell the story because you do have plenty of action, but there are also dramatic moments where there is some exposition needed. And I think you guys handle that real well. You don't do too much of it. You do just enough so that we're interested in reading what's going on. Because another thing I find myself doing more and more as I read comics is not reading the word balloons as often as I should. Mm -hmm. And so I look at the picture and I figure out what's going on from the picture and then I move on and move on. But your word balloons and your discussion of what's happening to me is important. And you can't really leave those behind. You have to read those things and to understand what's happening. And I wish more comics were like that, to be honest.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. I mean, I, I do think that we have an almost unique opportunity in comics to do stuff like this where you have so many threads, so many different tracks. I would think of it as like composing a piece of music. Mm-hmm. You have your bass line, you have your melody, you have you know your percussion. They're all moving in the same direction,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but they're all telling different stories and they're all giving information that is best delivered mm-hmm. on that track.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The dialogue doesn't have to repeat what's happening in the visuals. Mm-hmm. You know, And obviously, we even use color as a language in these books mm-hmm. because of the whole the spectrum motif mm-hmm. that we came up with. You can actually see that Mike Summers, who did the colors on the second one, mm-hmm. just as, as Mel Cook did in the first one. The color palette chosen for specific characters, and specific scenes
3: mm-hmm.
2: is designed to deliver information about where we are and who we're dealing with.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, yeah, you have so many tracks layered upon each other. In comics, that uh, to use them interchangeably would be a mistake. And I think where you can deliver stuff without resorting to putting the words on the page, mm-hmm. that information is always best delivered visually.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And you use the dialogue then to reinforce character and to deliver information that couldn't be delivered at least so efficiently
1: mm-hmm. through the artwork. And everything has its own specific place on the scale.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, and I really enjoyed both the books. Both are great. In some ways, I'm a little jealous of people who haven't read the first volume because if they get to read them both in a a row, they're (laughs) going to get a different experience than I did because I had a couple of years between the two volumes. Mm, So it'll be kind of interesting to see. I I would really love to run into somebody like that and ask them what impressions did they get that might have been different from what mine were.
2: I'm quite quite curious about that myself, yeah.
1: It's pretty interesting stuff. So uh, it's Indifference Engine. What's the name of the second volume that's uh, out now? It's The Suicide Show. Suicide Show. So it's Indifference Engine, engine The Suicide Show. So I, I think they even put the two in there. So
2: Indifference Engine 2,
1: ah, The Suicide Show. That's right. That's right. Very good. So that'll be good. And as we said before, you can go through all different kinds of avenues in order to be able to access the books. And I highly recommend it. If you haven't read an engaging story that's going to pull you in and you'll be in there for a good couple of hours, then this is the book for you because I love that kind of a storytelling. And uh saw so you do that quite well, so... Excellent stuff, and I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Thanks for that. Now, as far as other projects that you're working on, we were talking a little bit before we got started recording that you've got some irons in the fire, but not all of them can be discussed at the current time. So
2: Yeah. there's, uh, I mean, I've got a ton of short stories because I'm a sucker for anthology, so basically anybody who ever offers me a, a, a slot in anthology mm-hmm. will get a story out of me. Mm-hmm. So there's stuff that I don't know what I can say about yet is there's a very interesting project that was brought to me with sort of a writer's room Mm -hmm. concept behind it where everybody's bringing stories and throwing ideas at each other and seeing what comes out I've always got stuff going on with Barry Nugent's Unseen Shadows Mm -hmm. project so I've got two or three short stories and a full graphic novel in the works there wow I've got my next Marcosia book, which is called Phantom Lung and the Garden of Dead Liars, that is going to be the same artist, different colorist mm-hmm. as Indifference Engine 2. Mm-hmm. And those scripts are all done. That's kicking off production sometime soon.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's been a mad and terribly exciting <laughs> development with one of my older books that I'm pretty sure I can't say a damn thing about right oh, now
1: well we'll have to interview again <laughs> well next time i talk with you we'll have to talk about that because it'll yeah, uh, so, so, be the, good stuff
2: tangled mess of just desperately exciting things happening
1: oh great well that's great you know if you're a comics creator that's what you want to hear you want to hear the people that you like and uh, whose stuff you enjoy saying i can't talk about it i've got a lot going on <laughs> but i can't physically say it yet because that means good things are happening instead of <laughs> saying well nothing going on right now It's a uh, that's not yep. a good thing to hear. So I'm oh, really yeah. glad that you're doing stuff now. As far as people trying to keep up with your good stuff, because over here in the states we have a more difficult time than than the folks do in the UK, because mm-hmm. that's where you are. Now I know you're on Facebook. Yep. Are there, do you have a website, or are there other places, avenues that people could go to to kind of keep up with what you're doing?
2: Yeah, I have. I've okay. which is just a, a general information dump mm-hmm. about basically everything I've done, am doing, and hope to be doing. Mm-hmm slightly more frequently updated is my blog mm-hmm. at raggedman.com
3: okay
2: so you can find me there
1: uh twitter and my own name and uh all the usual places there okay very good well, Sai, it's always good to talk with you. You have interesting things going on. You tell great stories. So I'm always happy to talk with you and, and hear what's going on and to catch up on the stories that you're telling. And, and I always enjoy that. So, again, I highly recommend, if you haven't read any of Sai's stuff, I really recommend you get in there and give it a try because I think you're going to find something new and different, which always is important to me to find. So good stuff as always, Sai. All right,
2: thanks for that. Cheers.
1: And that's it for this week. Be back next time when I'll have a great interview with Kevin Scott, the scripter for Titan Comics Doctor Who, the ninth Doctor five-issue miniseries. You won't want to miss it, but until then, keep reading your comics.